S-T-E-P, S-T-P, S-L-D, P-R-T, S-T-L, X underscore T, X underscore B, I-P-T, 3-D X-M-L, cat part, P-R-T, S-A-T. What are those, Jason? Jim, those are all of the... 3D models that you can upload into the Zometry Instant Quoting Engine. Of course they are. I knew that. I just wanted to see if you knew what that was. But yeah, Zometry is great to work with. I cannot believe some of those I've never even heard of before. Well, they get into a lot more stuff than just machining. Absolutely. But I guess you just drag it, drop it right into their website, and bam, it spits out an instant quote. It's fantastic. Yeah, I can't believe it. Drag and drop, and away you go. Go to Zometry.com, X-O-M-E-T-R-Y.com. Welcome to Making Chips. We believe that manufacturing is challenging, but if you are connected to a community of leaders, you can elevate your skills, solve your problems, and grow your business. I'm your host, Jason Zenger, and I'm joined by my co-host for almost 200 episodes, yeah. JC Jim Carr. There you go. I li- I, that's an acronym I like. <laughs> Man, that was really sobering. We're Two, almost there. We got to make 200, 200 episodes. We got to make 200 good. Did you ever think we'd I be... didn't know, think that I, I think I've said this joke before, but I didn't think I could tolerate you for this, <laughs> this many episodes, and I have. You, I should get... You well, should, wait, 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 wait. You should Let's get me an up. award. Wait. We've tolerated each other, and <laughs> that's think, why it's worked. I think you should give me an award. Oh <laughs> uh, no, I don't. I don't think so. I think we should give each other an award. But no, it's it's great. It's been all really good, and it's been an evolution learning. Yeah. And, and speaking uh, of evolution, growing. we're talking about robotics today, and we that's are. an elev- well, that's an evolution where in manufacturing. Are we? Where we're, are we? we're actually at Fusion OEM in Burr Ridge with our good friend Craig Zoberis. We have a bunch of our other manufacturing friends here with us. I was just talking to Colin from Laystrom oh, Manufacturing. Oh, he's a great guy. Super great guy. Talking to Tim from Chucking Machine Products. I mean, oh, is just, Tim Mirgan here? Yeah. Oh, yeah. cool. So there, I mean, there's a bunch of just great people. People that great manufacturing leaders that we've known for a long You're time. Now, I'm not, I know these are friends. I mean, no, it's I know. Not, I'm it's, kidding. I mean, it's not like I'm saying Beyonce was here or something. Yeah. You know, I mean, no. <laughs> right? But no, they, they are great people, and we we've known them because we've been in this world for a long yeah. time now. They're just great folks. They're great people, know? and you know what? And they run you know what's successful great businesses. about the manufacturing industry is we are really a tight niche, close, tightly knitted group of people. Thank you. I appreciate that. And we can lean on each other at any time with when we got a problem or an issue in our own businesses, and we. Need you know to, why, Jim? Why? Because manufacturing is challenging. Because manufacturing. But if you is, have a community of leaders, you can. Why am I having to them and be, yeah, Why have exactly. I heard this before? <laughs> but no, it's it's honest. It's honest to God. It's true, and we hope that the people out that are listening to this show know that we genuinely are trying to equip and inspire you because we do understand how challenging this business can be. And we hope that we've provided you over the last 195 episodes with relevant information that help you get through that tough day at the shop and made it a little bit easier to know that there's somebody else out there going through the same pain, right? Yeah, I mean, and if I am going to name drop, we are going to see it. Dan Hampton from the Super Bowl Shuffle. Oh, you are 1986 a Super Bowl Chicago Bear champions. That was Super Bowl 20 in 19, January 1986. Yep. 
I was an avid Chicago Bears fan at that time. Every Sunday I'd watch. I actually did watch football back then. I was yeah. ten I was ten years old. I, was I wasn't watching I don't watch football anymore. I was drinking beer at the time I was watching. Much to it. my wife's chagrin, who's a hardcore Dallas Cowboys fan. Oh yeah. Well of course she is. She's from that's where she's from. Anyway, it's great to be here at Fusion. Craig's just such a dynamic guy. I can't wait to get him in the studio here and and learn about this new product that he's developing because it really is going to take the machine shop of today into the future and really evolve the industry. So what, what's keeping you up at night? I know that I've been talking a lot about replacing you with a robot and I was having you a conversation with your wife the other day. And she's yeah. like, you know, I could probably replace Jim with a robot too as my husband. Mm, I don't know about that. I'm pretty, I'm pretty dynamic. As a matter what of fact, is keeping I'm, you up I'm at night? I'm multi-dynamic as a matter of fact, but it's, it's the same thing. You know, you just asked me this not too long ago and right now it is, it's capacity, it's talent, it's, taking the business to the next level. We're, we're going to have a great year, and I don't have to tell you that. You know, you've been through that pain before. You know the struggles that are involved in that. And I said at our weekly production meeting today at CAR, we just need to be strategic about growth. We don't want to go too fast because, first of all, I don't have the wherewithal in me to run five miles at seven and a half miles an hour. I just, I, I can't do that. You can't go five miles an hour? I didn't. I said seven and a half. I said five miles at seven and a half miles an hour. Oh, okay. I cannot do that. I need to slow down. Okay. And I don't need that in my day to day business. I've got plenty of other things going on. I don't want the business to become a drain on me and my family. So don't do it. No, I'm not going to. Yeah, because so I agree. I mean, as somebody that's gone fast. Yes, it's 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 hard to slow down. It's hard to let off that gas pedal. Especially as you're looking at retirement, it's why should I? And I understand because my dad, when I was pushing him, he was like, I don't want to. And you know, are you pushing him? Well, I've always have for the last 20 years. Okay. And now he's ready to retire. And so you're not a nice guy. You're well, pushing, I mean, you're pu- pushing your poor old dad. When you, how are you pushing him? Pushing him to do new and different oh, things. Oh, change to change, Evolve. to do more. Okay, it even goes back to when you know my wife and I bought Black Industrial and Safety Supply. The reason we bought it was not because I didn't present this opportunity to my dad, because I did present it to him. I said, I have this opportunity, and should we Zengers buy this company? And he was like, I don't want to do it. And that was fine. Oh, he did not. He oh, did not want to do really it. He really put the he put the stop sign up. He put the stop sign up, and he said, "If you're going to do it, do it yourself." Okay. And, and, just, so, and, and, and so I did. Yeah. yeah. And much everybody challenged me, and they said, "You'll never be able to do this yourself," you know. And I found people who financed me, who believed in me, and away we go. And my wife's in Indiana right now at, at Black, and I'm here with you. And you almost had a heart attack. In that transition, and period. I almost had a heart attack, but that's a different story. I can't the, believe you, yeah. you told me that. No, and was, I remember that weekend that we were together. Yeah, it was never a heart attack; it was stress-induced chest pains. But yes. which we've talked about on other episodes, and maybe we could talk about more in depth in the future how I recovered <laughs> from that. But it was not a it was not an easy time for me, not because we bought the company, but for other things that happened. Right, after that. because so, you, you never know what gets thrown your way. Right, you never know. So tell the metalworking nation what's going on at the Boring Bar, and what the heck is the Boring Bar? You know, I've got four kids and I don't like to drink a lot so I haven't been to the bar in a long time Okay, so and I don't necessarily know what's going on at the boring bar either but one of the things that I do know is that if you want 
great information from Making Chips in addition to this podcast. We've got news articles, and they're really well-written. They're not written by Jim or I, so they're well-written. They're written by other people on our team, and we've got videos and and everything. All you have to do is text CHIPS, C-H-I-P-S, to 38470. Do it now. That's CHIPS to 38470, and you will get the Boring Bar, and you will also be the first person to know when we actually introduce the physical Boring Bar, our Making Chips Bar. Oh, the brand logo? No. Yeah, the branding. Oh, the no, real, the, the real, real bar, bar where you can get a beer. Yeah, and we will invite you out there if you are on that list. I cannot wait. That sounds great. So what do you have for manufacturing news, Jim? It's called the future of the factory, which is kind of relevant to what we're going to be talking to Craig about today. And it's all about what does the shop floor of the future look like? Again, you know, we talked to our friend Akshat from Amper in one of our last episodes about IIoT and AI. And again, this news article from Packaging Strategies magazine goes into that. But I thought we would kind of revisit it again because Craig's going to be talking about why he developed this Cobot technology to sell as a product to shop floors and and how it really can automate and and make them run more efficiently. And I can't wait to hear what the brainchild was behind this because, man, that seems like a big task to do that. But what do you think? What do you think the shop floor, what do you think Car Machine and Tool is going to look like in five to 10 years? Well, I think there's a couple things that you probably are are going to implement. I think you're going to have some kind of automation, like maybe robotics. I think that'll probably be one of the last things. But I just think this whole notion of data collection and utilization is going to be part of your future. And I think you need to do it. And that's going to be part of the factory of the future. Right. Well, we've already implemented the ERP system, which is we run on tablets and and PC stations through the entire shop. And it keeps everybody, every single person in this shop is 100% engaged all the time. They know exactly how to set up a job. They're clicking through the setups, completions, and everything's constantly happening. There's 100% engagement with the entire team all happening simultaneously. Yeah, and I think doing that paperless is you're you're definitely a step ahead. So that's yeah, that's good it, that you're doing that. It's been fun. So that's really what the article talks about and it goes on to, to say what they're doing in China and you know, I really don't care because all I really care about is what's going on here in the United States. I mean, I do care what's going on in China, but I'm really more interested in what's happening here. Well, you don't speak Mandarin or Cantonese. I do so, not. You know. I I barely speak Spanish or but, English. Yeah. Or or English. Yeah, you have a lot of trouble. Yeah, I do. I really do. So Jim, we're ready to introduce our guests and we we are are not interviewing a robot. We're actually interviewing a very dynamic manufacturing leader today who is hosting this great event. So why don't you Is he more dynamic than I am? Yes, he is actually. Really? Introduce him right now. He might be smarter, but I bet he's not more dynamic. But no, today's guest is no stranger to making chips. He has been with us before on episodes 46 and 47, where he, where he shared his core values and the ecosystem of his business. He was even part of a guest panel at IMTS 2018 in the Grand Concourse stage. He has offered invaluable insight to the metalworking nation and is a true manufacturing leader in many ways. Today, we are privileged to be invited here to unveil the latest in shop floor automation, the Cobot. Please welcome Craig to his own studio today. It's our remote studio. Craig Zoberis, president of Fusion OEM. Craig, 
How you doing? Great. Thanks for having me. How's things looking so far for today? Well, we a little <laughs> bit more than expected. We we anticipated 150 manufacturing leaders here, and we got 196 to show up. Wow, so, great. Uh, Congratulations. Really That's turnout. awesome. So, You're not going to have any of those goodie bags left for Jim and I, are you? <laughs> we'll have something else, like a special goodie bag for you. Thank you, Craig. I appreciate that. I'm just, just give, give me a beer. That's all I need. I thought I'll it was be, hard looking. I'll be happy. If I just have a beer and, and maybe a taco, I, could, I love the taco truck that you brought in. That's awesome. So Craig, again, congratulations on hosting such a great show. It certainly is going to equip and inspire anyone who attends. Instead of us telling the Metalworking Nation about you, why don't you tell the Metalworking Nation about you? And how did you get your start in manufacturing? What was your aha moment? Why did you start Fusion OEM? And, and what's been the iterations now that we're here today. Why are we here today? I, I, I'd like to know. I mean, I know why we're here, but I really want to know what, what was that aha moment? When did the light bulb go off? So go ahead, please. Okay. So my undergrad is in engineering and I worked for my father's company and he had a fantastic engineering company at 75 engineers working there and really loved engineering. But I thought I found something that's more interesting. It was the manufacturing side of the world. And so I started my company, left his in 2002 to start Fusion, and it was an assembly facility. So it was build-to-print products that we did for them, our customers who are OEMs. And over time, we added machining. The reason we did that was we wanted to control a lot of our schedules, and so we brought a machining in-house, which I was using on the outside before. Over time, we built the company up from five people in about 2005, and then we hit a high about 50 people. And just recently, it was last year, it was about April of 2018, we had the opportunity to understand a little bit more about Cobotics. And I was getting Instagram posts from people from our production floor that were saying, hey, these Cobots could help us. And I'm like, I, I couldn't put two and two together. Part of it was talking about the waste on the floor. And one of the wastes that are on the floor, you know, you, you've heard of transportation waste, overproduction, defects, et cetera. And one of the other ones is they call it human capital, but better yet, Sam Bouchard said in one book, Human Potential. And that's when everything clicked. And when Davin, who's with us today, was very instrumental in uh, sending those Instagram posts, uh, I'll let him tell that story. David, what's your role here at Fusion? I'm Davin Erickson, the machine shop manager. We had seen it many years at IMTS. And social media, obviously, Instagram has become uh, pretty popular for the Insta Machinist hashtag. Yes, it has. You can see lots and lots of examples of people's work. And a lot of that started to include uh, cobots in the past couple of years. So between the Instagram and YouTube and articles and modern machine shop, cutting tool engineering, production machining, tried to keep funneling those to Craig, trying to... Uh, show examples of how this could help In, us. Inspire him to make some change. Exactly. Yeah. So Davin's sending you all these Instagram, these DMs, I would imagine, right? And you're opening up and you're saying, this guy's crazy. You know, what, what, is he, what, what, what messages is he sending you? So what, what were you getting? Like, did, were you saying he's nuts? I can't, should I get this? Who's going to do it? How is it we're going to implement it? Is it going to take away human resources and replace them with cobots? First and foremost, what's the difference between a robot and a cobot? The main difference is that collaborative robots are subcategory of industrial robots. They're designed to operate around people. So 
80% of the robots that are deployed in the field don't have hard guarding around the robot, right? So that enables you to deploy the robot in a much smaller footprint. It also enables you to keep the integration cost of that robot low because you don't need all the belts and whistles that go around the robot. So that's the safety aspect, but it's a twofold definition. The other definition of the collaborative robot is to collaborate with people, not only work around them, but actually operators could pick up a teachman and, and program the robot, right? So a human, that had, an operator has never touched a robot before, they could pick up the, the, the teachman for our robot and program it fairly quickly, which isn't necessarily the case with your traditional industrial robot. So, so you don't need to hire a consultant or somebody like that to program it, you'd literally, somebody on the shop floor could do it. Absolutely. It's that intuitive. Uh, the programming, absolutely, is very And intuitive. that really brings the okay. integra- cost of integrating a, a cobot down significantly. I Correct. Mean, probably yes. more than half. Absolutely. Yeah, and going back to your original question there about what did we see when this happened? And I said, oh, well, we saw automation. And I think we kind of represent most American machine shops right now where there's a lot of baby boomers and then there's a lot of millennials working and there's not a lot in between. As I agree uh, with that 100%. Yeah, our, I'm from that in-between generation. You're and, in between. Where yeah, did there was, you come from, yeah, I'm, I'm, <laughs> I, I don't know. I, I'm from that in-between in generation and yeah, there's none of my peers are in manufacturing. Right. So what's interesting is the millennials are embracing it and we always thought, or at least I thought, well, we can have people be machine operators and they'll, over time, almost by osmosis or just being a, you know, in front of a machine all the time, they'll learn how to become a machinist. But it takes that's a long process, very long process. And that's when, when I, the aha moment occurred, Jim, is when Davin explained it to me. And he said, why don't we put the robots in front of the machines and attend the machines while we can focus on these millennials and train them? It could be from online training. It could be shadowing, job shadowing. It could just be doing other work that is more human-like, that's more cerebral than just what we call robotic motion of putting parts in a machine, taking parts out of a machine. So that was one of the reasons that we said, hey, if that's one way we can be more competitive, let's put one in place and try it out. So let's talk about the metrics, Craig. I know this is this is a really important data on what NAM the National Association of Manufacturing is saying about the manufacturing and the workforce. And we all know, I mean, everyone knows the pain that there's a huge skills gap out there, right? So I, I see that you have the data in front of you. What are, they, what are they saying about manufacturing and the skills gap? And why don't you read off some of those? Because it, it's really sobering, quite frankly. Yeah, it was quite <laughs> sobering when I saw this. So Universal Robots put out a nice white paper, which included things from NAM. And one of them was about, let's call it the baby boomer generation, which is age 55 to 64. They represent 65.5% of the labor pool today. And twenty two, yeah, yeah, sixty five, right? Wow. And twenty two to twenty seven percent of the nation's manufacturing workforce, which is incredible. So to fill in that gap, we got a lot of work to do. And if it's training people up or putting automation in, those are the two items that I believe we're trying to address right now. I know it's 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 staggering to read and it's staggering to hear. And there was one other sentence in that piece of material that says that means that a 1,000 person manufacturing company needs to attract 220 to 270 new 
workers just to fill retirement vacancies. Wow. That's that's scary. That means we need to, we as manufacturing leaders need to do something. We need really need to be proactive about this if we want to see this industry flourish in the future and be the powerhouse that we are in 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 this country. So, now that we've defined the metrics, tell us what you thought after Davin sending you all these Instagrams, you're getting all this data back and you're kind of putting it all together in your head and you said to yourself, what do I need to do? So we said, hey, let's dip our toe in the water. And we bought one of the robots. We bought a UR5 from Universal Robots. And we installed it in, uh, I would call it the Rube Goldberg way of doing it, to test out the concept. We had the robot <laughs> open the doors for the machine, place the part inside the machine. We had to learn a little bit about clamping. And then we just tested it out. And, and we found that this proves to have some sort of value. And then fast forward to today, our machining processes are the same time frame. So how long the part takes to manufacture inside the machine is exactly the same because we're, we're a high mix, low volume contract manufacturer with a lot of repeat work. So we had a lot of, a lot of information on how we did on each one of our jobs. So what we've discovered, fast forward again today, is that we're 26 to 32% less time on the production floor just because we don't have an operator in front of it. Rather, we have a robot because it's consistent, doesn't take breaks. It's not slowing down just on the pace of a human. It's just human's nature that you're going to might slow down or speed up during a day. But we found that doing a little bit of those time studies at that time discovered that this is a real value that we can put on the production floor. And how long did it take until you were actually fully utilizing that cobot? We did changing out parts fairly quickly. I mean, within a couple of days, working out, uh, like Craig said, the work holding and the mounting and our, our table situation, it went, it went very fast. Devin, what kind of machine did you put the, your first cobot or robot on? Was it a turning center? Was it a 3-axis CNC? Or? It was a 3-axis uh, VMC, uh, Haas VF2. And what was it doing? What did you program the robot to do? Other, we know it opened the door. We know it grabbed the part. Did it open the chalk? Did it open the vise? Did it op- did it open the fixture? How sophisticated was this process? We added some Curt hydraulic vices initially, okay, okay, and then uh, some air vices, air vice brand vices. The robot opened the door, pressed the button, but everything else. The robot actually handled the, the work holding, but just through the I/O on there. So it didn't it didn't actually close the vice. It just sent a signal to close the vice. Okay. That's what I wanted to hear. We're programming, picking it up from the array on our little makeshift board in the beginning, putting it in the, in the vise, robots telling it to close the vise, and then it's uh, pulling back, closing the door, hitting the green button. The start button. The start button. Hit it, and then repeat. Right. Just do the process again. So what kind of volume were you doing with, with that? Was it 10? Was it 20? Was it 1,000? Was it 10,000? Or Initially, I mean, we started out with some jobs that were under 100 pieces. Okay. We were experimenting there, and we still do jobs that are less than 100 pieces, especially right. if they have a longer lead to our cycle time. The oh, the cycle that... time is a, is a key component then? Correct. Okay. Especially for first stop stuff where we're taking raw stock, just uh, rectangular chunks of bar stock. Yep. It's very easy to change the, the program from one part to another. So we were able to do as few as 20, 30 pieces, even of a relatively simple low cycle time part and just change it over in 20 to 30 minutes to get to the next one. Jim, I thought you said you were busy. 
We are, Jason. We're, well, we're, 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 we're going to have a great year. I'm looking around, and I don't see any messy desks. I don't see any paper thrown about. Tell well, me what's going on. Well, first and foremost, is part of our culture that we have low paper, but... Since we've been using ProShop ERP, the whole tactic behind using that ERP system is to go completely paperless, and we are dramatically reducing our paper flow through the entire facility. So you're not quite there yet, but the we're goal not, is to be totally paperless. We're not quite there yet, but we've only been using ProShop now for about nine months. Well, I got to be honest. I mean, most manufacturing leaders, when I when I go into their offices, I mean, there's stuff all over the place. Well, I, and everything, you I know? think it, it just it just creates a clean system. If everyone knows how to utilize the system efficiently, then the paperless thing will work. Uh, yes, it's hard for an old school guy like me to not have that print in my hand, but at the end of the day, we're moving in that direction. So go to ProShopERP.com for more information. You can call our good friend, Paul. When did you decide, Craig, that this is when you wanted to start developing your own product line? Because that's really why everyone is here today. This is the unveiling of the FCO1 and the FCO6. I don't know if there's any other model numbers in between that. There are, yeah. Are, so is it yeah. one through six? Or yeah, we have one, one through, through six, 10? and we're, our goal is to have 10 total standard solutions that we can offer our customers of an integrated solution. The aha moment came a few months afterwards, and when I met Misa from Universal Robots, we had a conversation about, this is unique. We were having some time, a hard time bringing on a new business on our assembly department, and I said, oh, well, how can we like fortify new business in that, that area? So a lot of the discussions came and said, hey, well, why don't we recalibrate our people that are on our assembly department and engineering department to do systems integration, taking like standard universal robots and integrate them into the CNCs for other customers. And I said, that's that's a great idea. So we spent, oh gosh, Davin, you were part of this. It was probably about three months of strategy discussions one way or another about how this would work. But Misa kind of, put some metrics to it and saw the opportunities there for us and said, hey, well, Fusion would be a great company to be a universal robots certified systems integrator because you have the team. You also have a showroom of the product being demonstrated. And also you have a laboratory where you can test different unique ways of trying to do machine tending in a CNC application. So besides machine tending, what are the other obvious applications for, for a machine shop to utilize this type of product. Yeah, wh wh why should I get one in my shop? Obviously, machine tending, pick and place, loading and unloading equipment is probably the number one application that robots in general are deployed in machine shops. Right? Yeah, those are the big obvious ones. Those are We've the big talked obvious, about those a bunch. You know, and then we could do deburring, polishing, sanding, quality inspection of the components, but it really depends what size parts you're making. If you're making a giant part that has eight hours cycle time and you're going to load it into a CMM machine, you could put a sensor on the end of the robot that will inspect the component, either a visual sensor or a CMM at the end of the arm that will measure that part, right? So if, if you have operators manually doing that measurements, you could potentially automate that process. But we have customers that are doing finishing, the secondary finishing on the part after the parts are coming off the machine. They're doing polishing, deburring, sanding, any second operation that needs to be done after it's uh, machined. You've mentioned before that these cobots eliminate the three Ds. Can you explain what that is? 
So the intention is to to eliminate the dull, dirty, and dangerous, right? So we dull, dirty, and dangerous. Great. Well, it's true. You yeah. you you encompass two of those D's, Jim. Yes, dull, dull, dull and, and dirty. And dirty. Yeah. 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 <laughs> <laughs> so typically, from from what we've seen, is the first application you should be looking at is obviously the one that are extremely dangerous, right? You have ergonomic issues, you have safety issues, or it's an application that you have to automate it because OSHA might come in and take a look at the process. And this is not safe, right? But from experience, also the lowest hanging fruits are typically the applications that are very dull. If you have an operator doing a task for three, four, five hours a day with really not using their brains, they're that is a very good process to automate first, right? Loading and unloading equipment typically falls under that category. Dirty and dangerous are typically go hand in hand. If an operation is dangerous, it's typically dirty, right? So those are the three Ds that we try to have customers focus on and try to automate. So what about uptime, Craig? If I were to get one of these in my shop tomorrow, if I had a right fit for it, I believe it's all about the right fit. Absolutely. And I don't know that yet, but I would imagine there's probably the right fit because I know when I take a job into my shop, if it's the right fit for car, it might not be the right fit for another machine shop. But what is the uptime? So once that hits the floor, once we take it off the lift with the lift truck and drop it on the floor and that the stopwatch starts going, how long before it's loading parts and hitting the cycle start? Well, so I'll tell you one interesting thing is that we're offering Cobotic solutions for CNCs and we're delivering them within 10 to 15 business days. So we're delivering them. So what's unique about our offering too, we're in Chicagoland area and we're serving pretty much a hundred mile radius of here. We're reaching down to Indianapolis, out to Rockford, up to Milwaukee, but we'll deliver this machine. Let's call it a Monday. We'll deliver it. That same two people that will deliver that machine will place it in position wired into your CNC and bolted to the floor, get the machines talking to each other, and we'll start by that end of that day, be able to start demonstrating how we can start indexing parts into the machine. The second day, we would then start doing what we call basic training, and it would be kind of like a job shadow of how we would program the machine, show the customers best practices of actually doing machine tending, and we'll spend a whole day with them doing this work. And the third day, we would follow back up and be present there, and we hopefully they kick us out by lunchtime. That's great. So it's like a Wednesday afternoon. So from a Monday to a Wednesday afternoon, we should be having a machine tending solution working on a production floor. Fantastic. So you mentioned that they talk to each other, the CNC machine and the robot. How do they talk to each other? Do they talk in a different language? Do they talk in Spanish? Do they talk in French? Do they talk in Jason's language? They talk in zeros and ones. Yes. <laughs> yes, zeros how, and ones. How, how do they communicate? <laughs> yeah, so there's simple inputs and outputs that we're working off of with the control. It's remarkable. Is it like GNM code programming? Some of Something. it is. What, what is it, Davin, that there's more you know about this than I do? We're using inputs uh, and outputs on both the robot and the machine. And then we're, we're, there is some modification to the CNC program, the G-code itself, and then uh, also a little bit of the robot. Do you have to add another board to your CNC machine or...? We haven't yet. There are some machines that obviously, you know, with all the options that are available on right. different CNCs, right. that use up all the available M codes there. Most machine manufacturers offer a piggyback board there that offers more M codes there. So that gotcha. may be something that is required. I gotcha. Okay. 
There's also some unique ways of doing it too. In, in some applications, if the machine is incapable of communicating through its board, it's like we mentioned before, we've actually used the push button station to hit the green button to go. We've done that. We've used the robot to open and close the door, but now we have auto doors to offer too. So there's a lot of different ways, and I think it's every job could be unique depending on the application. Some of the applications that we're doing are not even CNC machines. So we've done ones with floating tapping open systems that are like all kinds of like simple looking Bridgeport type machines or drill presses or whatever, the commander machines, I believe they are. What about installing helicoils? Hmm. Helicoils? Yes. Because one. I've got a job that we've got to put like thousands of you have helicoils. To turn that installation tool. No, yeah. well, we can, there's you tap, well, you're there's helicoil in, insertion tools that are yeah. that are pneumatic. But maybe oh, okay. we can get the robot sure. to actually yeah. freaking do it. You know that would yeah. be awesome. Yeah. So you, they're using robots in screw applications, right? So it's kind of like the same idea, right here, Misa. Yeah. The robot is limited by the amount of force that it could apply. So if it's a hydraulic press. I'm not familiar with that process, right? The robot is only capable of producing about 250 newtons of force, right? So about 50 pounds of force if you want to apply it to something. So if it's more than that, typically the collaborative robot might not, might not be the option. In real terms, what does 250 newtons of force mean? Is it like the force behind closing a six-inch vice, or how do I translate that? Because I don't know what 250 newtons of... What does that feel like? A 50-pound weight. Oh, okay. Like, oh, that's pretty significant. Right. Yeah, and, and in your application, it's mostly the pneumatic tool that's doing the, the work of yeah, the Yeah, the pneumatic tool is going to yeah. be actually doing So you doing essentially that. would just want that cobot to be bringing that tool down right and, and then exactly the tool does the work at that point yeah so some of the like screw applications you've seen these arms that they hold the the screwdriver or the the tool there but they use the robot to actually move it into position so the it's kind of like an assist mm-hmm. so you're actually turning your system into a cnc gotcha so craig we've talked about Cobotics, robotics on the show a lot, and you've obviously you you've delved into there. You've made a commitment that this is going to be part of your future, and you run your own machine shop. So, what would be your advice for the manufacturing leaders out there? Just a few things to leave lead them with if they're they're on the fence about cobots working in their being a part of their future. What's your advice to the metalworking nation in order to get started? Well, that's a loaded question. I believe you, you, you need to start working into the ecosystem. It's a very transparent ecosystem. People that have put robotics in are celebrating it. They want to talk about it. They want to talk about it. They yeah. want to share it. And and that's like how we just talked about Instagram. You'll see all these things that get inspired by it. Go see other people that have put cobots in. That's another one. The other one is look for a win on the floor. There's a lot of applications that we look at with our prospective customers and they want to do too much. Yeah, and it's so look like, for the easy win. I think yeah, look for an saying. easy yeah. win. And and it's just so you can get used to it because it is a mind shift. It's a paradigm shift for manufacturing to do this. So try something simple and you might say, oh, I can't justify it, but to test that out. That would be my first recommendation. And the second recommendation is try it. Worst case is maybe you've automated the heck out of one process, but not everything, but you got to chip away at it. We're not looking at saying, hey, we're going to become this much more efficient overnight. We have to do it step by step. And I think that's a that's a key thing to remember is to go slowly through it, look for easy wins. And again, like I said before, just go out there and visit other people that are put robotics in. 
not everybody's keeping this a secret. I think everybody is really shouting from the mountaintops that this is the way the future is going to be. Without a doubt. Got to get with the future. Yeah, you bet. Absolutely. Craig, thanks so much for inviting us into your facility today. And uh, it's a great conference. I'm sure you're going to equip and inspire the 195 people that are going to be here on your floor and the thousands of people that just listened to the show today. Thank you for being a leader in our industry. And we look forward to working together in the future. Well, thank you for inspiring everybody else out there in the manufacturing world. Thanks. We appreciate all the work that you guys do here too. Yeah. And if the Metalworking Nation wants to hear more from Craig, what are those other episodes, Jim, that they can listen to makingchips.com forward slash 46 and 47 i don't know what the episode number he was on with the imts guest panel but that was 46 and 47 are 46 and 47 are really it's craig all alone talking about his ecosystem and the core values and i have to tell you that inspired me to create my core values at car machine and tool as well and it's it's been really it's been very significant change for us so Thank you. So, Jim, are you ready to buy Cobot so you can work um, on that? that I, definitely want to go, I definitely want to go see it. I definitely want to see if there's an application because literally we do have a job that is coming up. We've got a huge job that we're running, and every single part, one part has 100 helicoils in it. You've talked to me about and how— And we've got 120 parts. Yeah, you've talked to so, me about how dull that application is, and, and but it, it needs to be done. It's just, so it's just arduous. Good, it's, it's really labor-intensive, so— I don't know. Maybe maybe there's an application for that, and we can talk it through and see if there's a fix or a fit, more importantly. But anyway, we're making chips today, man, because... Yeah. If you're not making chips... You're not making money. Bam. Bam. Metalworking Nation, listen up. Manufacturing is challenging. You need to think differently. The day-to-day whirlwind of urgencies, the pressure to grow, customer demands, workforce development, new machine tools and robots, the list goes on and on. It is possible to stay ahead of the game of manufacturing, but you can't do it alone. We're here to give you access to exclusive content from other leaders, as well as videos, blogs, show notes, and more resources designed to equip and inspire you on making chips. Do you want to get some tacos after we're done here? I want a beer. I want a beer. Okay, did you hear? Did you hear what I said? I want a beer. Yeah. I want a beer. Is it play? Is it recording? It is recording. Yeah.